This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Warner invests in avatars. Grammy selection changes. And venues are still hurting. You're listening to The Biz Tape. Welcome to episode 33 of The Biz Tape, your all things music business and media podcast. I'm your co-host, Colin McKay, with my co-host who's sticking it through God, for us. sticking it through today, Colin. His name is Joseph Wazileski. Joey, I'm glad you're alive at the I, end of the table. I am alive. Um, I, I just want to share a little uh, experience we had this morning. Uh, me and Colin lived together, and I got my second dose of the Pfizer uh, vaccine yesterday, and my whole family had reactions, so I was like, I'm probably going to get a fever. Right. Right. I was like, that's probably going to be the main thing. Um, and I I was chugging water, because they say to chug water and to take Tylenol, right? Those are the two things you do. Yeah. Um, so I was chugging water, and I, I went to the bathroom at like 5 a.m., and then all of a sudden, I was looking in the mirror, and I couldn't hear anymore. <laughs> and then I just started, like, my body just couldn't stay up. Like, I started just, like, passing out. And so I tried to get to my room. I pass out. And then I just hear, I, like, I literally hid my head next to the bed, and I fall down. And I'm like, what the hell just happened? And I just hear Colin go, Joe, are you okay? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, my uh, <laughs> my partner thought it was a uh, clumsy burglar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, very close. I mean, I'm I'm there right. uh, with that. But um, yeah, basically what happened was it wasn't really anything with the vaccine. It was because I didn't drink enough water and I got super dehydrated. Um, and so that's on me. A hundred percent, but uh, I don't know. I just it was a crazy day. That and, was a crazy thing to yeah, watch. Man, happen. It's been hitting me like a train, but um, I will say 
if you are on the cusp of like, should I get the vaccine? Should I not get the vaccine? And I'm going to tell you this. As someone who has personally seen a family member impacted and who has died from COVID, me fainting for two seconds, way less important (laughs) than dying. So you should definitely get your vaccine. And I'm going to stand by that. Um, But yeah, I mean, that's, that's, Honestly, that was the day, man. Yes, some been... vaccine knowledge, and then this was th- this was all a segue, so I could tell you that we did a Twitter poll, and uh, I'm sorry, an Instagram <laughs> poll. That was that's how long our segues will be. Now, never mind. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I did an Instagram poll. If you guys are interested, follow us our uh, socials: Instagram, Facebook, Twitter at the Biz Tape. Email the Biz Tape Podcast at gmail.com. Questions and concerns, but I think I'm going to keep doing that. I'm going to call it Colin's Curious Time, where I just ask kind of our general fan base what they think about moves I've kind of seen and stuff like that and so i asked them would you go to a show that required you to show proof of your vaccination yeah so like your little Which, card i think i already lost mine <laughs> i know and i before i got the the free staples laminate <laughs> so yeah uh, i'm gonna but try you to can get another one but uh but most of like 90 percent of our audience said yes which i was glad to see but it was interesting because i feel like there's kind of a dichotomy going on there where people will say yes but then like if you if it really happened, they'd be like, well, that's annoying. I don't know if I'm going to I mean, that. it's annoying, but I think it's safer. I think it's safer, but like my 90% margin in that Instagram poll, I think would go down. <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, anyway, uh, I've, speaking of uh, on virtual kind of premise, this is such a weird topic, yeah. so I don't even know how to begin it. <laughs> uh, Warner Music has been investing in avatar tech companies which like the blue people like that yeah like the blue people uh (laughs) or the last airbender anyway um now warner has been investing in a couple of them and i thought it'd be fun we could talk about virtual avatar avatars if you don't know what that is so they have invested in uh i think it's it's genesis and wave or no it's genus it's like spelled like genesis but it's not it's weird um specifically they invested in wave uh i think this week and Wave serves as a virtual entertainment company which lets artists perform as avatars, including immersive virtual worlds. Which I was like, that's fun. The company has hosted more than 50 Wave events for artists like John Led- Legend, Dylan Francis, Alice in Wonderland, uh, The Weeknd's TikTok Live concert in August that reached over 2 million live viewers and raised $350,000 for the Equal Justice Initiative. And then Warner Music joins a list of other wave investors that include Justin Bieber, The Weeknd, uh, Jay Blavin, and Scooter Braun, which I just want to point out that <laughs> Billboard does this weird thing where they uh, link the artist, uh, like kind of Billboard. Yeah, the things. artist page. With right. The... But it's hilarious because Scooter Braun doesn't have one. So it looks <laughs> like, because all of that is in bold, it looks like it's just Justin Bieber, The Weeknd, Jay Blavin, and Scooter Braun in like all bold because the rest of them are like blue links. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like making a point. Um, so then we got, on the other side, they invested in Genesis, which or Genus, sorry, it's very confusing to me, which they create avatars of the label's artists and sell branded digital avatar gear to fans in a new NFT marketplace. Ooh, fancy NFT. You can pay money drop. to have the same features that avatars on the Xbox 360 had. <laughs> Now, now, um, anyway, uh, the label group has also, this is the one Joe will diet has also made recent investments in spirit bomb 
or which is a record label dedicated to entirely virtual artists and the gaming platform Roblox. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, um, I guess if, if all that is gibberish to you, I, I should have explained this earlier. An avatar, other than being blue people in a very famous Nickelodeon show, an avatar is usually a virtual version of yourself. If you're very old, you may remember Second Life from way back in the day. That was an avatar. But if you need more of a relevant example, like Bitmojis can be considered like a 2D avatar of yourself. Yeah. Um, so... It's interesting to see this space really expand because at first, I think we saw in the pandemic them kind of blowing up because of necessity of people being like, well, we can, you know, put, for instance, like Post Malone did uh, the Pokemon one where he was an avatar. It's like, we can put Post Malone in this motion capture bubble. He's not with a thousand different people. And then we get artists who are independently at their own homes, no COVID risk and stuff like that. And it's been on the rise in general because of that, but it's also been interesting to watch that space expand. Um, do you think, Joe, that we're going to see avatars become more of a regular idea as opposed to like going around COVID? You know what I mean? In terms yeah. of, oh, you know, we're back to live shows or something like that, but also we're doing an avatar show or something like that because I think we've seen a, that in COVID. But. Yeah. I think it's a unique space that could potentially be something in the future. Um, but I don't think it's, I, th- I think this is coming from a, a, an internet hype period that we've had for sure. Of just like, we've been trying to figure out ways of breaking music into a new form into the internet space, right? Right. And in order to do that in a very uh, unique way, I feel like avatars are kind of that like bridge to that into some fans too. And even like with those avatars, you can do so much with, uh, I mean, even from like a streaming now, like people are using avatars. And right. Everything. So it's, it's definitely part of the entertainment sphere in space. It makes money. But um, I don't think it's going to be like a huge thing unless it's like a it's like an artist brand, right? Yeah, like, and I agree uh, with you. And that actually goes to my next question: What do you think about virtual artists coming into more of a you know bigger space? I mean, like live space? No. So yeah, when I'm talking, well, also that what I'm talking about is specifically artists that are completely made up. And so we're talking about like originators, like the one I think of as Hatsune Miku, which if you don't know, is a Japanese anime girl who has been literally going on or, for 13, 15 years now. Or a guitar pedal. <laughs> or the best guitar pedal ever made. But um, no, but like in that way, we've seen these artists come up. I've seen a couple articles about, I can't remember his name right now, but there's a big TikTok rapper who's just a virtual like artist. So yeah. it's, not a, it's not based on a real person. What do, you, what do we think of that into the market space? Because I feel like that has a stronger chance as opposed to avatars for live performance of becoming more valuable, in my opinion. Yeah, I think um, I think there are definitely music fans that would never go to a concert. And like maybe to those fans, the, that might actually be a good bridge in order to, to grab onto those um, consumers and and. Uh, kind of 
excel more upon that and, and like even build with on it. extreme technology that we've seen especially like Hatsune Miku like I was saying she does live perform it like the you know the anime girl yeah. does live yeah it's like a 3d uh holographic kind of like a tupac thing. so it's like we can figure it out if we want to but at the same time it's like you're probably not losing that much by only you know receiving the artist virtually if they're also all vir- virtual <laughs> you know yeah. what i mean mm. i don't know i think um with music and especially live music since we're we're bringing it to live music uh, right now. Right. Um, I think there is a human and innate human element that people want to see. They want to see human performances. And I'm not saying that there can't be like uh, holographic or robotic or pre recorded performances that are done live, technically, mm. right? Um, but like big productions and stuff like that, I think that there's definitely a market for it. I just don't think it's going to be like the number one thing. You know, I, what I, I mean? agree. I mean, like I don't, worldwide, I don't I necessarily think it's going to be number one thing, but I think it I could think definitely virtual, I think virtual artists have a promising future more than artists who are contemporary using, you know, avatars of themselves as, you know, a way to experience a concert, except if it was like, it's in my opinion, it's, this is kind of gimmicky, but in a good way. And it seems to me that the more you lean into the gimmick of it being virtual, the more valuable it has to me. Because if like, for instance, you know, if you're completely made up like a Hatsune Miku or, you know, we've seen a lot of streamers who do fake, you know, avatars of themselves that are not themselves. You know, they look different than they do in real life. I think that has the most value because you have the ability to, basically have complete control over one part of your branding, which is how you look. Yeah. Um, but I also think if we go to the actual, you know, you're a contemporary musician who actually wants to use an avatar in a space. I think that, I think for those people who are riding the line between real and virtual in terms of like performance, then you have to lean super into the gimmick. So I think like, you know, in this example, they listed like Dua Lipa has done some stuff uh, involving avatars. And I just thought like, well, I wouldn't go to a whole concert or I wouldn't pay for a live stream or something like that, where it's just her as an avatar, but I would see one song. I think that would be dope. If like there was a Dua Lipa avatar for like a song, and then, yeah, then it's gone. I think that would be cool too. I I have a hard time. I feel like with Dua, uh, in particular, she's such a strong live performer herself. You know that that that's what people really want to see, right? And this also lends into genres and stuff too, because you know she's a strong performer in that way. But I feel like if we got more into electronic music or you know EDM. Or even metal. Uh, and yeah, even metal to an extent is like if you get into more of those niche artists that are kind of less for their personal performance, that are more of like this is an emotion and a feeling that you experience as mm-hmm. opposed to like we're here to celebrate this performer. I feel like virtual avatars do better in that way. Um, I don't, the thing with this is like, okay, let me go point by point. I think. Them investing in this wave company to do perform as avatars, I think, is a double-edged sword. I mean, the Post Malone one comes to mind because the motion capture for it was atrocious. And so (laughs) it just had this weird, uncanny valley effect where it's like you can tell that he is really 
controlling the avatar, but it's not real enough that it feels like a real person, but it's not supposed to be a real person. So like you get into that weird territory where you might like alienate your artists. And then the NFT marketplace, which stay tuned this month, I'm trying to get this NFT deep dive done, but that's its own weird little demon because if you put it into NFTs, then people try to assert it as a value and as a almost some people will go as far as saying like, oh, this is an investment, you yeah. know, for buying a T-shirt, you know, which, that's a virtual thing, which can get just super meta on itself. So I don't even want to go into that, but I don't think necessarily I don't see a place right now where fans are like. Oh, I have my own virtual avatar. I really want to wear a Dua Lipa shirt or a you know a a Dylan Francis shirt. I mean, it could be cool if it like got to the point where you had your own virtual avatar for like VIP passes or something like that. Right, you and know? it's weird because like that space is so that idea of that is seems so separate in your mind. But then think about what's so in front of our face all the time now. Yeah, is DLC in games. In mm-hmm. at you know in cosmetics and games and it's weird because I feel like there's a big thing in the music business of separating that, but it's Colin, a, are a, you it's saying a, I can play Post Malone in Fortnite? <laughs> right, you know <laughs> is that what you're saying? That's what I'm now? saying. It, it's weird because it, it feels like to me it's like connecting two different sides of my mind to put that like oh the Fortnite thing in your the Fortnite p- like <laughs> like imagining like Fortnite Post Malone that sounds smart, but then imagining like. Post Malone selling an NFT avatar version of himself it sounds stupid. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah, but at the same time, people like in the gaming community will buy like physical figurines. This is what I was going with NFTs, though. Is NFTs are a weird place right now? And yeah, I'll get into this in the deep dive. But quick disclaimer: I think that NFTs, like Bitcoin and stuff, will have a dramatic rise up. And then they're going to flatten out a little bit and become more commonplace and just start rising very slowly. Um, yeah. So that there's that. And then uh, I just think it's so funny that they made recent investments in Spirit Bomb, which you know does the virtual artist, which is fine. But I also think it's hilarious how they do Roblox because Roblox is a meme in itself. And if you don't know what that <laughs> is, just look up Roblox and you'll be like, people pay to play this video game? They do. <laughs> well, I mean, I remember at the beginning of the pandemic, right? Um, or towards the, I guess, beginning mid section of it, um, Travis Scott had the Fortnite concert and that did huge, you know? And that was an avatar of him. And it wasn't even that good of an avatar, but a bunch of people came and it was awesome because there was like explosions. Yeah, and, like, I mean, shit. I, I think so. But it's it's like if we take that out of the vacuum of COVID, how well does that do? I think it does well, but I don't think it does. Exactly. Well. I think, you know, it's 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 supply and demand. But then on right the verses, now. I'll just add before we go to the next thing is uh, I think that if it was a virtual artist and they performed on Fortnite and they're only available virtually, then that would do very well. Well, can you imagine a virtual artist performing at like a late night show too? Like, I feel like that would add like another layer of like cool. I I cannot imagine like Jimmy Fallon, like being like up next is our virtual artist, and it's like Hatsune Miku. Yeah, Hatsune Miku, (laughs) and it'd just be like I'd be like, this is a meme. Like somebody, somebody just fooled their talent broker. Like that's what I would feel (laughs) like. How much you? How much would you pay for something like that? As like a as a like a promoter i i honestly don't know if you would pay the going rate for like a regular artist of that i mean size i guess it's like any other production or yeah i guess it is but you're you know 
upfront costs are a little bit more because instead of it's like, oh, let's feed this human being. Let's make sure that he or she is in the right place at the right time, you know, that they're well rested. Now it's like, let's make sure that the model is programmed and the programmer, it's almost like it goes to him. It's like he's well fed and able yeah. to <laughs> programmer. Ted is it's his writer basically. And it's the list of how many wines he wants in the backstage. Um, oh, but man. I mean, speaking of uh, virtual things, I mean, what's the most virtual thing that's impacting our live every day, Colin? Uh, Streaming. Was, You're right. You man, got it. I was going to say Fortnite. Right no. Um, So the impact of streaming during and after the pandemic. So it's no surprise that streaming was king over the past year, taking the lead as the main consuming platform for music listeners and film lovers. And with Streaming's network's huge subscription jumps occurring during the pandemic, many experts are warning investors that uh, that an expected slowdown is coming as things start to reopen and people begin doing other things besides being cooped up in their homes all day. So, however... The streaming industry as a whole has been thriving and has a, had a steady increase in paid subscriptions and trade worth over many years, which according to Billboard, will continue to impact the market as well as solidifying its place as the most popular medium to consume musical and visual content. However, the biggest shift in the industry definitely came in the form of AAA releases of huge blockbuster movies that have been released to streaming platforms such as HBO's recent ventures, with Godzilla versus King Kong, Wonder Woman, and many more. I mean, uh, like, what's another? Wandaverse, right? Oh, or WandaVision. WandaVision, yeah. Oh Wandaverse. <laughs> oh, Marvel. I'm Get sorry. Him. I'm sorry. Don't come at me. Um, but, I mean, that's another example of, like, literally something made for the streaming platform. I mean, obviously, these are made for the big screen releases, but because we couldn't have big I mean, would releases. you argue, then, that it's more of adapted because they were intended on schedules to probably go to more towards, you know, retail. I mean, theaters. the whole thing's adaptive. Right. Like if we're but, talking that meta. Well, of, I'm talking about like, I mean, if you say they're made for it, I think like. For well, instance, WandaVision was made for. Okay, uh, that's a good it? example. Apple, yeah. Right? Okay, that's a good example. King I was Kong thinking, and Godzilla was made for a movie release. Okay. However, a lot of people watched it on stream. And Correct. actually, it had a surprising number of people that went to go see it in the theaters, which actually made it, I think, one of the highest grossing movies this year, right? Right. So, I mean, that's another uh, thing to keep in mind. But as more and more visual platforms are created, such as CBS's Paramount+, Plus, Discovery+, Plus, HBO Max, Apple+, Plus, and my personal favorite, Comcast's Peacock, oh, many of these streaming platforms are beginning to become competitive as they begin buying up pieces of content for huge sums of money, such as The Office for 500 million dollars 25 million for billy eilish's documentary and 25 million for the motion picture coda so colin is there too many streaming platforms especially visual streaming platforms at this point and is it just turning into cable i think right now is i think i think this is a balancing act because consumer interest has definitely changed but it does feel like we're going into the same rabbit hole of like, oh, cable, you can get this for 10 more dollars a month. You can get this channel, you know? And so it does feel like that. I think part of it is also societally how we value these things. I think during obviously the pandemic and stuff for a lot of people, since they didn't have cable, the internet was their, you know, outreach to the world. So in a way 
since, you know, people are generally feeling more comfortable with going outside and going to a theater, for instance, you may see people start dropping off these subscriptions because it's not as important in their lives. Um, but I don't think there's too many, but I think they're hitting the details correct. It's going to come down to kind of a buying war with the streaming stuff of how much content is the valuable content worth to them? And also, is it worth it to the consumers who would buy it? Because that's the, you know, like Billie Eilish's documentary, somebody might be able to trickle down into that streaming platform because they were interested in Billie Eilish's documentary, got a free trial, boom, we have a subscriber now. And that's like the make it or break it moments, which is why I think they're going crazy on these acquisitions because it's definitely, I think, with COVID opening up, it's getting less because people view it less in their lives. Yeah. Um, I also think, like you said, uh, these bring so many new subscribers and that's the goal. It's how many subscribers can we get on the uh, platform? And uh, I mean, there's so many of them now. I mean, before, what was it? It was like Hulu and Netflix, right? Those were the two that were basically the, the main ones for a long time. But now that everything has a plus behind it, and uh, <laughs> I don't know why, I you know I don't know either. But um, I I also I'm wondering too because I mean like these are all separated by cable networks, a lot of them, especially like in television, uh, and now it's even by studio in a lot of these uh, movie studios and stuff. So th- if you actually do the math of like if you were to get a subscription for every single one of these things, you'd probably be paying just the same amount of money as a cable subscription. But still infinitely more valuable than cable because you can choose what you watch and most of the time if you pay for it, you don't have ads. Yeah, exactly. So, so there is a benefit to it, for sure. I, I'm just wondering too, when will the spending stop, do you think? I think we're going to see a spree of it for a while, but then once these people start leaving, you know, again, due to my COVID loss theory, but also just there's a very well-documented thing called subscription fatigue, uh, where people have so many subscriptions that they, you know, eventually get to a breaking point psychologically where they go, well, I cannot spend this much money a month on this, and they just start cutting stuff. Um, I I think it will probably come up once... Uh, live shows and like large gatherings kind of become mainstream for a couple of months, if that makes sense. I think that'll cause it to go down. Not not saying that it'll go away forever because streaming platforms will be buying content to the end of days. I mean, at this point, if you, you know, back in the day, you wanted to make an album and your album sales are going to make you money uh, directly in a direct fashion that way. You know, you get a royalty on that. I feel like now it because of how complicated streaming is and all these other merch cuts and 360 deals, it's more straightforward to be like, my documentary is going to pay for me to be on tour. You know what I mean? Yeah. And stuff like that. I think it's really dependent on how big of an artist you are, though. I think if it we're, is, if we're too, going down, If we're going music side of things. Right, because, you know, documentaries are historically don't make money <laughs> unless, you know, you're doing documentaries that are essentially for huge, huge people and a lot of it at the end of the day is not really a documentary. It's more of like a PR piece. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, I, it's going to be an interesting battle to watch them do it. I think musicians are definitely going to see this also. I, I saw it today with, you know, Spotify was up about 12% before they 
you know, announced their quarterly earnings and then they went down 8% because they, Oh, looks like people are starting to cut back Spotify because the world's opening up again. Yeah. And so and that's exactly what billboard pointed out of just like, it, it seems like a lot of people are jumping at the gun of like, Oh crap, I need to get my money out of this now. Whereas that might be okay in the short term, but um, there has been proven a steady rise of this, of, of a trend going upward, basically, of, of people moving uh, their preferred media outlets to streaming only. People are canceling their cable subscriptions. Yeah, the cable. People covers. are not going to the movie theaters anymore. So they're just moving to that direction. I, I, think, I think the market's increased, but I definitely think the market will take a hit. Basically, I mean, it's def- it's already taken a hit. If we're talking about, um, especially visual media and in its value, visual media's value, mm-hmm. I think that's taken the biggest hit probably during this period. Which is why so many directors got pissed when HBO did. It that does deal. mirror the deval- devaluing of music after the you know the great piracy scandals of the two yeah, thousands. Exactly, but I you know at the end of the day, I think people still do want to go see some movies in the movie theaters. I mean, uh, Godzilla and King Kong is a great example. Like even during the pandemic, people went to go see it in a movie theater. But yeah. I think the, the weight of change is going to really come down to, uh, especially with visual media in movie theaters, movie theaters need to step up their game to get people to come in. Right. Their- and, le- and really lean into the experiential part of it, as opposed to you can only see this movie here. You know yeah, what I mean, and I mean, so, and then if I'm being honest, the outrageous uh, food upcharge for everything, and then like, also, I just think in a, in a I think it'd be interesting in movie theaters one day where like everything, I, this would be a riot. People would riot about this, but they would be like, we've upped the quality, so now it's a requirement that everything's an IMAX. <laughs> <laughs> you see like it's or like 3d you, like <laughs> obviously you see big movies in there like you would see like the next star wars in there but like it'd be funny it's like we also have little women in imax and it's like <laughs> i really wouldn't think of that and then make it even more ridiculous everything's in 3d the sound of music in 3d yeah right <laughs> everything's in 4d so you have like the air flushed at your face at the time <laughs> no but like that's kind of the idea is they need to really up their experiential part of it because that's the only part of it they have up from streaming especially when a monthly streaming cost is I, you know, I would say on average around the price of a one movie ticket, you know, yeah. and you can at least say your house gra- gather a couple people, you know, but in the movie theater, you all got to pay like, you know, the 10, $15. So I, 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 you know, am not surprised, but it'll be interesting to see how this affects, especially the buying process of these shows. And then going back to obviously music business stuff, it's like, this is going to affect sync deals. This is going to affect, you know, like those documentaries I said and stuff like that. Um, so this will be a big change overall in terms of market share because they've been kind of riding high for a year. You know what I mean? Yeah. Most of these streaming services, you know. Well, and the demand for them to continue riding high has been there, which is why they're getting so much pressure to like continue pushing out content, buying content. I would say stuff. the best way to distinguish themselves as a streaming platform is not put a plus symbol after their name. <laughs> Maybe put a minus in there. Equal sign. Ellipses. Right. No, I, I don't know why they do that because especially when it's like a service. It just reminds me of Google Plus. 
that it remember does when remind that was me, a thing? It does remind me of that, but it also makes it seem like it's like the way when I read like CBS Paramount Plus or something like that. One, it's a mouthful, and then two, I go. It's in addition to my other CBS Paramount item yeah. I own. <laughs> like, no. Yeah. It makes sense more, like, with Discovery Plus. Okay, you're on the Discovery Channel. This is Discovery Plus. You have more stuff. But then, like, Paramount's thing, I'm like, whatever. And then Apple's is more confusing because Apple has a and terrible naming scheme. Peacock is just total left field. I appreciate <laughs> Peacock for its boldness to go with that name it's boldness to go with that name and to go with one show (laughs) also i do think it's funny how because comcast if you guys don't know has a historically bad customer service record that at the beginning it seemed like they were just being like oh it's peacock it's separate you know like it's run but then now they keep throwing all this crap where it's like this is comcast's you know peacock and i'm like just take comcast out of the name retire the name and you will be better off with like marketing that isn't it at like one point comcast was rated the negative the most negative brand yeah they want a survey for that where it was the worst customer like service and like experience of for a customer like wow. three years in a row or something i watched a video right high funny. man right high Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers, or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern-day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways I imagine you haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Margaret Atwood, Questlove, Kate Blanchett, and Oscar Isaac. If that sounds like a varied group of people, it's because it is. I always wanted to make a show where one week we could sit with a politician like Beto or Rourke, the next an author like Min Jin Lee, or TV titans like Bill Hader and Quinta Brunson. Basically, this is a podcast driven by curiosity and an abundance of research. Conversations where people actually start to sound like people. In recent weeks, I sat with Dan Levy, Ava DuVernay, Benny Safdie, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope to see you there. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public. The list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. 
Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You know what's riding high, Joe? The Recording Academy, always, for some <laughs> reason. I know. Uh, I did a Grammy deep cut if you want to learn more about how that all works, but the Recording Academy runs all of it and has voted to change a bunch of things in a very interesting way, basically saying we're going to get better, which is kind of what I wanted them to do in the end of that deep cut. Yeah, they kind of just trashed our deep cut. <laughs> uh, they didn't trash it. It's I actually looked at it. This is the one change I'll say in it. This the big change is the only thing that changes in it. So the rest of it is relevant. I literally went and fact checked it after that. So anyway, they ended nomination review committees which to basically give you a clarifier, if you haven't listened to our deep cut, these committees were in charge of selecting the final nominations for a bunch of categories. Uh, But there's like 12 or 13 main ones that are really the big talked about categories that they would decide. And that was general field, rap, rock, and 10 other ones. So, but like, you know, the most talked about genres, which is why people were outraged that they existed and again they chose final nominees and then members would vote on it so it wasn't like oh we're selecting what's going on these small committees of people who are grammy members you know who may have connections to these artists or just rigging the whole thing but there could be something like that (laughs) and so that's a lot of the time why people would get very upset and this is the thing when people have been like I researched it. This is the problem right here. Mm -hmm. I'd be like, one, there's a lot of problems. Two, (laughs) it kind of is, and I'll get into why. So other than that, they voted to reduce the number of categories in which voters may vote from 15 to 10, which I was all about. And they added two categories, which was uh, best global music performance and best musica urbana. (laughs) I think that's how you say that album, which I'm not a very good Spanish speaker, but we'll just go with that. And then they also, because they added the two categories, added a month to the eligibility year, extending it from September 1st to the 30th. Joe, what do we think of these changes so far? Do we think Uh, negative, positive? I, you know, it's changes. They did, they ended, you know, literally when we saw our man uh, Mason Jr. get up at the end of the Grammys and right before the final thing and being like, we'll get better. I was like, all right, bring it on. What are we doing? And it, this seems to be what they're doing. Yeah. I mean, I think the main, at least for me, uh, I think the eligibility extension is going to be a huge deal because a lot of records come out around that time. I didn't say this in the deep dive, but I literally had a WAP conspiracy theory why WAP <laughs> wasn't in 
there because it technically wasn't in the eligibility window, but also wouldn't qualify for the next year. It was, I, I cut it out Whoa. for obvious reasons. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I was like, Megan, the stallions obviously nominated for all these things. So you feel like WAP would be in WAP was the performance. And then I was looking A WAP at it. conspiracy. Yeah. But I, I think they're good changes. Um, I, one, I think the voter category thing is really being overshadowed by them getting rid of the nomination review committees. I think that's going to do a lot if you can only vote for 10. Yeah. Um, they also claim that 90% of their, uh, Grammy members are like reaffirming and ready to vote by the, you know, deadline and stuff like that. So I guess they're trying to say, you know, our, our membership is active. Yeah, well, like you know, like 15, that's a lot if you really think about it. And there's going to be some names that right. people are just going to be like, you know, it's going to be like taking an ACT or an uh, SAT where it's like C. So that's, <laughs> I'm that's, just going to choose C artist. That goes perfectly in the next thing because if the nomination committees, I guess if you want more elaboration. So these were members of the academy who are supposed to be experts in their field. So, you know, they're an expert in jazz, so they'd be on the jazz nominations committee. It was basically to make sure that there wasn't some weird fluke artist in there. And basically completely backfired as the years gone on because people blame it for the reason why the Grammys are rigged all the time. Yeah. And I just think it's hilarious. Because you're catering to those specific people. But I think it's hilarious is because... I didn't know this and I didn't say it in the deep dive is apparently the uh, nominations committees were actually added in 1989 and then eventually implemented in the big four categories in 1995 to combat the criticism that the Grammys were out of touch and picking people that were like out of left field basically. Yeah. Which is hilarious to me that now they're like, that was a bad idea. <laughs> we're moving on. <laughs> um, but you know, it was crazy because they were, these nomination committees were 59 categories of the 84 were being decided the final nominees by nomination committee. So, you know, you had groups of like 10 to 12 people who would decide, Oh, this, these are the people you're even able to vote for. Yeah. Which makes a lot of sense. I think if you look at Grammy stuff, because I always have the thing, not necessarily, Oh, this guy or girl won the Grammys. It's more of like, why is this person nominated? I have that all, I don't know if I'm alone in this, but I always have that feeling when I look at the Grammy nominations is I just go like, I feel like there were other people who could have been nominated. Like yeah. The, the it's weekend, like, I didn't or, even hear this record half the time. Right. And so that, you know, with that logic in mind, the nominations committees, that made a lot more sense to me why that happens a lot. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to add that wasn't really getting covered much is on the opposite end the craft committees are actually still in play, which I talked about in the deep dive, but basically what they are are like nominations committees, but they're super hyper-focused on usually like really nerdy stuff. So like audio production, engineering, album notes, and stuff like that. And they actually did the reverse move. They consolidated more of those committees mm-hmm. and like made six of them into two of them that are just now production and presentation. So I'd be interested to see, you know, for our industry friends, how that affects those awards, knowing that there's less people who are in the pool of those committees. Again, there's member votes in that committee process. You can learn from our deep dive. Uh, but it, it is interesting to see that, you know, behind the curtain awards get more, you know, behind the curtain and then the more in the public ones become less, you know, about like industry people and who you know right it's more about general vote of the grammys which i mean that that hybrid system sounds pretty 
pretty accurate to where I think it needs, or at least to see where they need to change more. Yeah, I think, I, I, you know, now that you brought it up, that makes also a lot of sense because I feel like the people who would win a production award, they're like, well, why would they know, have the public, right? Vote, you know, voting why would on they that? have that? Uh, well, they do. And well, they'd have the Grammy public, yeah. you know, the Grammy members. But what I mean by that is, uh, they have, you know, I feel like if I was an engineer and I was up for an award and I knew I made it through this craft committee of reputable engineers, I would be like, wow, this puts a lot more weight on my award. Yeah, it means more. Right. But like if you're trying to win, you know, I don't know, one of these rock categories, for example, like extraneously, and they would be like, wow, you made it through all these other industry executives who were trying to pick their own bands. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? And I'm like, I, I guess, I guess so. you know, like, and so, yeah, it, it's definitely a good change. I'd be interested if the Grammys do more this year or if this is like the big change that they're like, that's it. Yeah. You know if you mean? want a Grammy, where would you put it? Where would I put it? Yeah. Um, I heard some people like, answer the trash. Now, uh, <laughs> no, I, I actually would love a that's Grammy. That's the most punk shit I've ever yeah, heard. Yeah, right. From you. It would depend on. It would depend on what the award is, I think. Because, like, I don't think... Like, if you had, like, a big four award, like, you can't just, like, casually have that, like, at your desk. Some people casually have them in their bathrooms. Right. I think I'm kind of into that. That's what I like, is it's, like, an award on the wall. You know, I've got this. I think it's in the same way that, like, if you won an award as a kid, it's like, you won the soccer trophy. (laughs) If you're, like... (laughs) Like if the kid, if it's like up in front and it's like the centerpiece of a room, you're like, okay, I'm not going to like this kid. But then like, if it's on the side as like an accomplishment of many (laughs) that I look at and like most improved artists, I, now it makes me seem like the Grammys are going to have like, you have your Grammy and then you have like your blue ribbon from swim team. And then like, (laughs) like, (laughs) yeah, I would, I would definitely give mine to my mom probably. I don't know why. I just feel like that'd be fun. Yeah, it w- it would be fun. Again, you'd have to wait on the shipping though, because they don't give the real ones out. Check out the deep dive. Sorry, I'm gonna stop doing that, but I'm gonna just keep <laughs> doing like that. the deep dive a lot. I know, because <laughs> people because it's confusing and people don't understand. But I barely understand it enough to talk about it. So <laughs> yeah, I feel bad. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways I imagine you haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Margaret Atwood, Questlove, Kate Blanchett, and Oscar Isaac. If that sounds like a varied group of people, it's because it is. 
I always wanted to make a show where one week we could sit with a politician like Beto or Rourke, the next an author like Min Jin Lee, or TV titans like Bill Hader and Quinta Brunson. Basically, this is a podcast driven by curiosity and an abundance of research. Conversations where people actually start to sound like people. In recent weeks, I sat with Dan Levy, Ava DuVernay, Benny Safdie, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope to see you there. Let's take a moment to breathe. Deep inhale. Extend your spine. Remain focused on what you're doing. If safe to do so, exhale slowly, leaning to one side. Inhale back to center. If safe to do so, exhale slowly to the opposite side. Find mental health resources at loveyourmindtoday.org. This message is brought to you by the Huntsman Mental Health Institute and the Ed Council. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, Colin, as life is moving past COVID, as hopefully it will this uh, next year or two years, venues are still hurting. So according to Billboard, over 7,750 independent venues and talent organizations have successfully submitted applications for shuttered venue operators grants, according to the Small Business Administration. So this is only after one week of the grants application process opened up. Yeah, so it was flooded, needless to say. And according to the SBA, the applicants who will be receiving money will be sorted into tiers as priority, priority one applicants are those who lost 90 percent or more income and they will get their payments the first 14 days so each one's going to be 14 day increments right 14 days of payouts yeah so when they start the payout so they'll start the payouts and then after that 14 days they go into the next tier basically but they'll still like give the payouts before okay that makes sense so priority two applicants are those who lost 70 percent and priority three applicants are those who lost 25 percent so that's kind of a big jump, I guess. That is so a big jump. They kind of loop priority two and priority three together, and they basically said priority two and three will likely receive completed payments by June. Nice. <laughs> yeah. I'm so glad, I'm glad that really put a lot into people who need a lot of money right now. Absolutely. Um, um, but businesses chosen will have limited time to accept what is called a notice of award oh before no, receiving. I'm really scared of this. <laughs> yeah. Before receiving relief payments, a documentation on how venues will use the funds. Uh, are required. So they have to document everything they're using it for. Um, and they have to be sure to respond to whatever email <laughs> is coming at them for this uh, notice of award, because if they don't, then the next person in the line is going to get it. So obviously this shows how vulnerable independent venues are and how much the touring industry impacts their livelihoods. But Colin, do you think this, uh, 
like, what's your take on this relief package, first of all? And do you think um, many of these venues will survive? Um, like, like I said before, I've said multiple times on the podcast, you will get no industry grants until the general public gets one. We just had that bill, you know, for $1,400. Hope you got it. And so now it's like... Stimmy, baby. Right. So now it's like, okay, you can... We can do... It's like almost like a checklist where it's like, did we give the general public? Cool. Now we can go to music, which makes sense, you know? Yeah. But now that we're at this point, um, I hope that this money can get to the people fast enough is my problem. Because, I mean, look, if you lost 90% of your income... Well, that's... You need this money. If you're still open and able to apply for this money... Yeah. Like, you need this money. Well, that's my thing is, like, do you think they're underestimating how many are going to be in the 90% territory? I don't think they're underestimating. I think that... Because, like, 14 days does not Most of this like government of money is, like, gone. Like, you know, day one... All these people applied, all these venues applied. And they and just then send them out. They just send them out, and then they go, we have no more money. Like, that's literally what happens. Um, and it sucks, you know, to watch that happen, especially when it's sometimes microseconds on it. You know, it's really sad. I was reading articles about these venue owners who are literally having panic attacks and freaking out because their computer wouldn't load the web page fast enough. And you know, that can be a difference between if you can get this money or not sometimes. Yeah. Um, what do you think? Do you think, <laughs> what if someone set up a bot, honestly, to, to grab it themselves? I oh, mean, that I wouldn't surprise hard, me at all. Um, but I mean, th- honestly, if I was, you know, the last 90% of the income I had and was living off 10% of it and was trying to keep, you know, the music alive, I definitely look into that bot. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and like do everything you could to right. to get that money. Um, I th- like. I think most venues are going to. I mean, independent venues are just having a terrible time. Obviously, thankfully, it's seems to be opening up, and public interest is opening up to going to shows again. I saw Florida had a big. I think it was Florida had a big. Uh, festival mm-hmm. it's like a country festival of course, of course. yeah <laughs> um, um and uh although you know before that would have gotten massive headlines of like what the hell are these people doing it seems to kind of be flying under the radar now it just says it's florida no um, yeah but, basically. yeah i but, mean so like that i feel like obviously the bigger shows and stuff but i feel like you know people who are more like myself and other americans who are you know, maybe more cautious might be waiting the waters and being like, I'm not going to, you know, 3000 person show, but I'll go, you know, see this band down the street. Cause I want to see live music and the caps 50 people. Yeah. That's more cut. Like that's the nice thing about the reopening process. In my opinion, is that with all these people that may have issues with trying to deal with being in public again, that these independent venues might have an advantage because it's like, hey, just come on in, you know, we're smaller number and everything like that. Yeah, I will say the the festival circuit is basically already over. Um, it's basically just Bonnaroo and like a couple of mid-range festivals, right? That aren't probably going to be as high selling as they normally would be. Um, although the demand for music and live music is there and as more and more people get their vaccine, I think more and more people are going to go out and, and see live music anywhere. Um, but I, I do think that, uh, in terms of 
music vi- venues and, and specifically independent music venues. Like even we've seen even some of the most successful venues starting to be like, we are about to close forever. Right. Like, so I can't even imagine like a mid range or a smaller one that's like trying to get this money and as 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 much as possible, or at least trying to get people to their venue in a safe way. I'm also worried from all these venues that kind of had to invest in technology that I hope that they can use in the future with live stream and stuff. But I hope that they didn't get, in my opinion, too late into that game. Because if they did, then especially if they went, you know, bang for buck, like, like you know, when we talk about streaming, you know, we got a bunch of black magics and we got the switcher and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, that's a, you know, be easily sometimes 20 grand and stuff like that. And equipment. Yeah, at least. So I, you know, I hope that if these venues, for instance, got into that and made that investment from the small pool of money they had available to them, that they did it early and were able to recoup because I feel like the need for live streams is going to go down. Well, I think it, yeah, it will go down, Colin, but do you think that some live streams are going to hang around for certain bands? I think it would be interesting if, you know, especially certain, in a music video. Yeah. I feel like that would be interesting. But I, I have a, like, if it's a very historic place, I could definitely see it. Like the Ryman or something. Right. Where it's like, oh, on, if you come on in, you know, we always have, we already have the equipment set up, so let's just start streaming from it and we can just get it from the board and maybe we don't even have to have a post-op mixer for it. Um, and then it's like, you want to watch this Ryman concert because you could get tickets to it because everybody's buying up tickets like a madman. You can buy it for 15 bucks and yeah. a bunch of camera, you know what I mean? I could see that, but that's the problem with this is that like if you're a little independent venue, then like it doesn't You're not going to be able to afford right. that. Well, you could do it, but like... At the end of the day, who is that for? You know, if you have a smaller band and and stuff like that, or a smaller audience that comes to your venue, right? So that's that's going to be a very difficult thing for them. Um, I'm interested in this next question you have um, with the buying out. Oh of yeah, and and everything. Thanks, Colin. Thanks for pointing that out. <laughs> Do you think that uh, these venues are going to be bought out by like larger companies such as AEG or Live Nation? So. A long time ago, I wish I could give you all an episode number and the name of it, but there was, you remember Joe, there was that coalition, there was that guy who was just on a mission to buy like out all of these things. Yeah. And basically it was like, sign up with me, I'll pay off your debt, and then I own your venue and stuff. And well, it, yeah, which is a lot. It's, it was it's very, very sh- it was very loan sharky is yeah. what it felt like. <laughs> it, it, and he was doing stuff where it was like. I mean, it's. Go for the hustle, I guess. Right. But he was doing damn. stuff where it was like, you give me 51% of your business and I will pay off all your debt and everything, but then I own it. Yeah, I want to see the interest rate on that. Right. <laughs> well, it's not a loan. It's literally he just gets. He just gets the venue. Right. And so, you know, some of these venues, uh, even not even counting the venue, some of these venues, just the property they're on. Was or worth a lot of money. Right. So that's what, it, you know, and if he has 51% interest in a venue or something like that and they own the building or, you know, even if they don't, they have the ability to basically just rock bottom out that venue and be like, okay, we're going to sell it to real estate and make all my money back or something. Yeah. Um, anyway, bigger companies buying out, I could definitely see, but it would definitely, I obviously not every venue in America is going to get bought out, <laughs> you know, um, but and then more are going to be created too. I feel like some of these more 
unique venues could be bought out. You know what I mean? And so venues that have like a very established gimmick as opposed to, well, we're just a small venue in this market. So one that comes to mind would be... I guess we, here it would be Exit in. Well, right? I, I'm thinking of really gimmicky stuff. Like, let's say The Caverns, for yeah. instance, here. Okay. If you don't know where The Caverns are, they're a music venue that's literally in a cave. Which, it's pretty badass. I really want to go at some right. point. Um, it's but, apparently, it sounds awesome. But at the same time, not saying that The Caverns has anything going on with that or something, but like that's the kind of venue I would imagine that an AEG or Live Nation would be interested in because it's so... Or if, obviously... Uh, Red Rocks wasn't run by a major corporation, then it would be, you could buy out all Red Rocks and people would be like, we know what Red Rocks is. It's very historic and all that kind of stuff. Or my other favorite one that people hate me mentioning is if you could buy Carnegie Hall out <laughs> and make it a venue, people would be like, maybe, you know, like, why not? You make know? it a venue? And well, I mean, it, is, it a venue. is a venue. But what I mean by that is like, make it less of a historic you know, concert kind of, hall. Yeah. But more of like an, more of a venue than a concert hall. That makes me feel weird. <laughs> I know it's not happening, but that's kind of the line that I'm going with. I mean, um, historically here in Nashville, it's kind of how the rhyme it is. You or know, the, the rhyme horn or the, <laughs> yeah. Um, but if that's how you pronounce that, right. Or the schlimmer horn. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a great concert. I'm going to get so name. many angry texts. Right. From my um, mom. <laughs> but, Anyway, I think that these venues could get bought out, but not to... I don't think Live Nation AEG specifically are on the front of gaining those capital investments right now. Mm-hmm. I think they're trying to recoup their money like for that lost season of touring and trying to... What they're trying to pay for right now is hire the staff back that have super you know, specific skill sets and stuff like that. And let's get concerts going again and stuff like that. And then maybe after they recoup some capital back, they would be more likely to go on a buying spree of these venues. I don't know, man. I personally, Live Nation is so huge. It's the biggest promoter in the world. Right. I think if they see an opportunity of growth in certain markets, there is going to be no hesitation to buy them out. I think so, but I think at the end of the day, how far is this buying out thing going? Because I could totally see them, for some reason, I can imagine them retconning a bunch of venues, being like, "Was this, that Cena Gun?" Uh, it <laughs> mean, uh, in movie stuff, it basically means just like rewriting the beginning origin story. But what I mean by retconning gotcha. here is like, let's say you bought this venue. It's in a very. Well, I'm making stuff up. Let's say you bought this venue in the middle of Philadelphia. It's centrally located. It's a market that we don't have a venue in. It'd be a very good place to tour, but that place is a shithole and people don't like <laughs> the way that it's run and all that stuff. Well, if Dude, I'm going in hard, if I'm like a live, na- yeah, this fake venue I made up <laughs> is like live nation. I could totally be like, we're going to retcon this whole thing. So instead of being smiley's tavern where everybody had been going for 30 years to see, you know, the greats would come up, it's going to be, you know, uh, some corporate bull crap. It'd be like, uh, it'd be like, a Sixth and eighth, <laughs> you know, <laughs> welcome to sixth and eighth, uh, and powered by Live Nation, you know, yeah. And so that that's what I could imagine more of is doing that for the the real estate of it. In the end of the day, um, but 
I think I think it's going to be a very strange circumstance for a lot of these venues for a considerable amount of time. Um, we're going to have to see how they kind of survive. I mean, a lot of these venues, I give credit for even adapting in the first place. Yeah. You know, I didn't think a lot of these venues could survive, but thankfully, due to lack of a better term, patronage of a lot of these people that support them and yeah, value mean, them in their community. I, I know I keep bringing it back to Exit End, but I mean, they raised like, what was it? 400,000? Was it 40,000 or 400,000? I got to double check that. Yeah, it was like, like, it was a, huge amount of money that they were worried because the property was getting sold to like a big like uh property company right basically. they didn't know they didn't know what they were going to do when their lease expired which also is a thing that many other venues can suffer with um but at the end of the day it's going to be a battle against time and seeing one i hope to god just for in general covid doesn't come back with a bite but if it does that's really going to hit these venues. Yeah. They, you know, if you thought the first time was bad, you know what I mean? Financially, the second time people would be mortified to go to anything. You know what I mean? If people actually, if we somehow had a huge spike or increase or something like that, in my yeah. opinion. Well, on that great <laughs> note, Colin, uh, what have you been listening to this past week? Oh man, Joe, you always catch me off guard with this. I know um, I do it. Every time. Here, I'll, I'll say mine. Yeah, let's see where you So got. I've been listening to uh, Mini Trees, which is an artist I actually mentioned before, and she released her newest uh, song called Spring, and it's fantastic. Uh, I think she has definitely increased the production value a lot, and I'm excited to see uh, how her career as an artist uh, continues to grow. And I am obsessed with this band called Night Tapes out of the UK, and they uh, it's like very indie like yeah it's like dream pop stuff night uh, it, tapes <laughs> working on the, the night, night tapes, tapes. Uh, <laughs> uh, but their uh their ep um let's see download spirit i believe yes it is amazing i love it so much there's one song in particular on there that sounds like an 80s uh like I wouldn't say hair metal band, but like an eighties, like crazy, you know, like they got perms going on and stuff. It, it, it's awesome. I love it so much. It's called truly being alive. So truly being, a, truly that is being a alive. title. Yeah, man. Truly being so, alive. I always notice that with radio people, they'll say like very scary, like not scary language, but just stuff that out of context sounds like nuts where it's just like, you can check out their album temptation of God coming out like and it's just like we what? just take the words out of that completely because it's an album title i always feel like if i was an actual radio dj i'd be like what what is this called <laughs> um i would i went on a weird streak um i feel like see. you're always on a weird streak. i am always on a weird streak what am i even lying about um i was listening first i was listening to a lot of billy joel for some reason um because one it's hilarious to me that that Zanzibar song is really big on TikTok, uh, which is, if you don't know what that is, if you are on the TikTok trend, it's the, uh, I drive the old man's car, I got a jazz guitar, yeah. that one, yeah. where everyone's like, what the hell is this? <laughs> and somebody just made up a dance for it, which just power of TikTok right there, even for an older artist to have this random song, somebody just go, this is awesome. Let's dance to it. And then all these people just up the streams. Nobody the hell was talking about Zanzibar before that (laughs) stuff. Um, But I was listening to that. I was also listening to 
Prince, uh, which is, I was listening to uh, the piano and a microphone stuff that they released out of the vault a while ago. Yeah. Um, it's so good. It's uh, literally what it sounds like. It's just Prince and a microphone just recording in the studio in the middle, I think literally in the middle of the night. And you can hear him calling out to the engineer being like, turn my voice up in my headphones and stuff like that in the middle. And he's like performing songs on the piano, just himself playing like piano parts. Regular people can't play alone, not to mention singing perfectly. Yeah. And so the 17 days, and then the weird part is, is he's doing it. I think it's like, 81 82 because prince is also one of those people that just like for lack of a better word just hits out songs every three seconds of his life Mm -hmm. he would do he was doing songs that literally would not get released for like 10 years he would just they're fantastic songs and he'd be like "Eh, whatever and Mm -hmm. so like the original version of purple rain is played on piano wow (laughs) and it's really different from how the record eventually happens and then there's also a 17 days, which is the beginning one of it. And that doesn't get released, I think, till the 90s, which is like 10 years later. Like just to show the business strategy of this man, he was like, maybe later. And then he just backlogged it all and then kept it in his mind and then was able to be like, yeah, I can do it. And the coolest part about it is he literally will call out singing parts of the song that come up in the song like 10 years later. He's literally singing the bass part, like how he imagines it, because he's just trying to get all his ideas out. And then you go to the actual recording 10 years later, and it's the bass part he's sang, (laughs) (laughs) which is like nuts to me. (laughs) Yeah, man. I mean, he was a genius. The man was a genius. Not with Wills, though. No. Hey guys, thank you so much for sticking around and listening to the whole episode. Our socials, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at TheBizTape, or email us, TheBizTapePodcast at gmail.com. Uh, also, feel free to rate us or like us or download us on every platform, whatever you stream on. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Pitbull. I think that education is the real revolution because as much as we speak about all the problems that there is in society and the world today, my mother's always told me, son, don't worry, the world's always been coming to an end. Don't let it scare you out of living. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the highly anticipated 100th episode of Tank and Jay Valentine's R&B Money Podcast with artist Chris Brown. Even working with you from Carrie Hilson, Adonis, mm-hmm. back in the day, I was 15, 14 doing that album. So like I said, I was in school like, yeah. okay, this is how you do it. This is how you make a song. There's a verse, a pre-chorus, and then a hook. I didn't know none of that. You learned I, that over a summer, bro. That's what I, it felt like. That's what it felt like. Listen to R&B Money on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart. 
in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I had talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.